All right, we are in Mark chapter 7. You want to turn there, Mark 7? Oh, by the way, the, um, the theme for the uh, Christmas parade is a country Christmas. So uh, if you're going to dress in character, dress country. All right? A little bit country. Yeah, just dress like red. That's about what you got there. All right, red, stand up. You could be our model. Show everybody. Show everybody what that looks like, all right? There you go. There you go. So that's it. Pretty simple, right? So that's, that is the theme. We don't designate the theme. They tell us what the theme is, and uh, this year it is uh, a country Christmas. So, all right, let's go in Mark chapter 7. Uh, Last week we ended uh, chapter 6, which gave the account of the apostles being on a storm at sea, and uh, after a long time trying to row against uh, the storm and trying to get out of it, uh, uh, Jesus comes out walking on the water, showing his authority over storms, and um, you know, just noted that life is full of storms. Storms come, and uh, praise the Lord that we have a Savior who is above the storm, and who meets us in the storm, and uh, Especially when those times want to overtake us. We have to keep our focus on Jesus. Not always easy. We had the example of Peter who did get out of the boat, began to walk on water until he looked around. And he saw the, the waves and the wind and uh, began to sink. The good news was, as he cried out, the shortest prayer in uh, the Bible, Lord, save me, uh, Jesus did just that. It says he stretched out his arm and he caught Peter. And he questioned why Peter would doubt. But again, we could praise the Lord that he was there for us. Uh, storms come in all shapes and sizes. We finished one in chapter 6, and we're going to see one in chapter 7, a different kind of storm. Uh, it's found in nature, but not in nature like the sea or the earth. It's the human nature. Human nature is, uh, is probably the most volatile of all storms. So let's look in Mark chapter 7, verse 1. The Pharisees uh, came unto Jesus, and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. So here we have the Pharisees and scribes coming together, this committee. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say unwashing hands, they found fault. For Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands often, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. Um, now, the Pharisees and the scribes, they have been against Jesus. We saw it earlier in Mark chapter 3, after uh, Jesus had healed someone. It says that they went forth uh, seeking how they might destroy him. Uh, we see in uh, chapter 3 also, after he had cast out a demon, they said he did it, uh, you know, that he has Beelzebub, that he was in alliance with Satan, and that's how he's working. They accused him uh, of breaking the Sabbath law. So on and on, the Pharisees and the scribes are against Jesus, and they are looking for a fault. So here's um, Jesus is doing this incredible work, right? People are hearing the word preached like never before, yet he has authority over the word, yet speaking with great grace. And uh, healing people and miracle after miracle, demons cast out, feeding a multitude. All these things have gone before about Jesus, and yet these people come, and their first thing is to find fault. There's always fault finders, right? Maybe you know some. 
Uh, there's always fault finders. No matter what you do, uh, you're not going to please them. That's what you have here. They're trying to pin something on Jesus. So let's look at these uh, Pharisees and the scribes and see who they are, and that'll give us a little backdrop to what we're looking at today. The scribes, uh, if you look it up, were official interpreters of Mosaic law. One of their duties was copying and preserving the scriptures. Uh, of course, they had no printing press. Everything was written by hand. So uh, they did their job. They took it very seriously that everything had to fit. There was no spaces. Nobody could add anything. It was all done meticulously. Uh, and we could thank God for them because they did maintain the scriptures. We have our Old Testament because of them. Uh, but also, they did some things that were wrong. They went beyond the interpretation of Scripture. And uh, in other writings, they would add many man-made traditions to what God had already said. Uh, so they became, uh, it says, professionals at spelling out the letter of the law, but ignoring the spirit behind it. As far as the Pharisees go, uh, the Pharisees, it means the separated ones, Okay, and uh, they were separate from Greek philosophy and, and the pagan culture, and they, hold, they held fast to Jewish traditions, okay? Uh, and one thing that they accepted was what's called the oral tradition. And you know how oral tradition works, it's passed down, and, and here's what they believe about the oral tradition. This is from Got Questions. Orthodox Judaism believes that Moses received the Torah, that's the first five books of the Bible, that he received it from God, and that he wrote down everything God spoke to him. However, they also believe that God gave Moses explanations and examples of how to interpret the law of Moses that he did not write down. These unwritten explanations are known in Judaism as oral Torah. The oral Torah was passed down from Moses to Joshua and then to the rabbis until the advent of Christianity when it was finally written down. It was called uh, the walk, okay? So you have this passing down, and you know how it goes, right? The game of uh, telephone, you know, you say it here, and you just keep passing it down, and by the time it gets to the end of the line, you don't know what's going on. Um, but that's what they did. So they wrote it all down, finally. The Mishnah, okay, uh, records debates of uh, uh, rabbis, and it's called rabbinical Judaism. So they would take all these things, and here's what would happen uh, the Orthodox Jews would uh, hold that the oral law or the Talmud is just as inspired as the Bible. So they put this, you know, this oral law, the teachings of man equal to the Bible. Uh, we're a Bible church. We believe in sola scriptura, that the Bible is our sole authority, that there's nothing equal to it, that everything has to line up to the Bible, okay? Other religions, they'll have the Bible, they'll have the church teaching on an equal plane, uh, I've heard some say the Bible, church teaching, and human reasoning all on the same plane. But you and I know there's many unreasonable humans, okay? So uh, to put them on the same plane with the Bible is pretty scary, but this is what is believed out there. So it gives us a little background on what Jesus is going to be talking about today as we get into this account of the uh, scribes and the Pharisees, uh, you know, really trying to pin fault on him. So again, verse 2, it says, when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say, with unwashed hands, they found fault. This word unwashed doesn't mean, it's not referring to hygiene, okay? Like, you know, COVID, remember you had to wash your hands for 20 seconds? 19 seconds, problems. 
20 seconds. Right? You remember that? Um, uh, I'll give you the secret. One of the, one of the uh, places where the hands aren't washed the most I've seen is from the men's room in uh, the Home Depot. I see men walk out without washing their hands. Did you know that? I sit there, I'm like Jerry Seinfeld. Right? You ever see that episode, right? Where he's, I say, what happened here? This guy just walked out. You know, I have seen that a lot. So it's always good to use those things that they have to open the door. You know, anyway, not that I'm picking on Home Depot. That could, it's man. It's not Home Depot. Since this is recording, it's not Home Depot. I love it. Okay. Uh, so it's not talking about unwashed hands. It's talking about. Uh, you know, not doing the traditions uh, of the, uh, you know, that the Jews have passed down, the traditions of the elders, holding not, that's what he says, the tradition of the elders. Uh, they believe, the Pharisees believe that uh, there was, you know, unknown if somebody was contaminated or not. So they would wash, they would wash before a meal, sometimes between the courses of meal and e meals and even after the meal. Uh, and it was this process that, uh, again, they were, it was kept in, the water was kept in these large jugs, these large uh, stone jars that had to be kept clean, because if they were dirty, then the water would be dirty. So you understand what legalism does? It just keeps adding to the, to the mix here. Uh, the amount of water wasn't like an overflowing amount of water. The law said that it was to be, the amount of water had to be that of an egg and a half in volume. So not a lot of water in an egg and a half, okay, just so you know. And uh, so while their hands were wet, they had to be cleansed, so they would pour this water on their hands, and it would drip down, and then they'd have to hold it down, and it would drip off their fingers. And this is the process that they would go through to, uh, to cleanse themselves, all right? But that's, you understand, it's crazy, right? That's how crazy it got that they were adding all these things to what uh, the Word of God had already said, and it just placed a burden on people, and it was all an outward performance. It was all outward. We'll see that in a minute, that what Jesus is going to tell them. Again, the law of Moses did prescribe that there were certain things that had to be washed, okay? Uh, you know, the, the vessels and things like that, because God was trying to instill in people that, you know what, the holiness of God, that you're coming into the presence of God. And that's a great thing. You know, I think that sometimes as Christians, we have, we suffer from being familiar. You know, when you're too familiar, uh, you take things for granted, you know, and we have to understand when, when we're going into the presence of God, whether it's in our own, you know, prayer or getting in the word ourselves, we're, we're very you know, flippant sometimes when we're coming into church on a Sunday and, and you're listening to the preached word of God, you know, we're very flippant, you know, we're, we're like the words going out. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. But, you know, well, we got I got something. Let me check my Facebook here. Oh, there's something good here on Snapchat. I got to do it. You know, uh, I'm watching. Don't worry. I see what goes on. So uh, so I think sometimes we don't give God the respect that he deserves that he's holy and we need to prepare our hearts and prepare ourselves before uh you know going into his presence and that's what god was showing but what they did they kept adding things the mishnah contains 30 chapters on purification 30 chapters uh, about washing pots and pans and uh, you know there was a rule to govern everything these folks were you know they pretty much gave up right i mean you ever you know they're their devotion just became duty 
instead of pointing people to, to God, okay, uh, and the need for the, really the cleansing of the heart, uh, they were just focused on the rules. I just got to get done the rules instead, instead of maintaining a personal relationship. You know, if you're in a human relationship where it's just rules, you know there's no joy in that, right? There's no joy. If you're married to somebody and they just give you a list of rules, there's no joy in that. You're constantly saying, oh, here we go again. You know, uh, there's no joy in that. So uh, it's all conditional, and it's terrible. These rules became the focus of everyone's attention instead of God being the center of their focus. Uh, so this is what's happening, and, and so they're going to come to Jesus, and they're going to complain about his disciples not washing their hands, but since Jesus allowed it, and he's the one that they're following, they're really accusing Jesus, right, of uh, using, you know, uh, of not being there and telling his disciples they're not following the tradition of the elders. So Jesus is going to use the word of God against them in this discussion, verse 6, he answered and said unto them, Well, has Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, The people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men, and laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such things you do. So he responds to them by quoting a prophecy in Isaiah 29, uh, he says, they're being hypocrites. Isaiah wrote about you hypocrites. Hello. Nobody would ever call the Pharisees, the scribes, these religious leaders, hypocrites. Nobody ever did it before. But Jesus is one who spoke with authority. And he says, they're being hypocrites. Now, hypocrite, uh, it, it means to wear a mask. It came from the Greek theater that, you know, you're in a play and you're pretending to be somebody you're not. That's what it, what it means. You put on a mask, right? You're playing somebody that you're not. Uh, so, you know, if somebody plays a doctor in Hollywood, you don't go to them for a surgery. It just doesn't work. And I won't even go to them for advice. I mean, they live very stable lives, so let's, let's hear what they have to say. But anyway, uh, Jesus is saying you pretend to be religious leaders, you know, that are spiritual, that are wise, but in reality, you're wearing a mask. You know, in reality, you're selfish and you're arrogant and you're, you're self-righteous and you're self-absorbed. Jesus tells them, you've laid aside the commandment of God to hold your own traditions. So, again, he answers them, and I'm sure they are very excited about his answer, right? You're, you're hypocrites. Let me go down. My, my computer took a turn of its own. Uh, he says, you hold the traditions of men as the washing of pots and cups and many such other things you do. And full well, verse 9, you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own tradition. And now he's going to give them an example, verse 10. For Moses said, honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curses father or mother, let him die the death. But you say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corban, that is to say a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. For ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect, through your tradition, which you delivered, and many such like things do ye. So now he's giving them an example. Let me bring this all into uh, understanding here. We know at Mount Sinai, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. The fifth commandment, a great commandment, honor your father and your mother. 
Okay, all you kids out there, do you know that commandment? Honor your father and your mother. It's a great commandment. Where are my kids? I think they should love that commandment. Right? Isn't that wonderful? Thank you. Even for you, my daughter turned 21 yesterday. How about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She hates that, what I just did. Um, uh, Honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God gives you. And you may say, well, that's Old Testament. But you know, in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul writes, honor your father and mother. Oh, there's my other daughter back there. You heard it, right? You're, I don't care. You got a last name that's different than mine. You still do it. All right? <laughs> Honor your father and mother. It's a commandment with promise. Okay? To disobey this commandment was punishable by death in ancient Israel. How about that? You're back talking to me? Here, let's go talk to the priest. All right? Didn't work too well. Uh, now, this commandment's pretty easy to understand, right? But the, the rabbis would write volumes on this seems pretty straightforward. Those who honor their father and their mother are going to care for them. They're going to respect them. They're going to, they're going to do for them. They're going to support them, especially in their old age. All right? If a parent is sick, then their children would care for them. If there was a need financially, the children would provide for them because this was a time there was no social security, there was no life insurance, there wasn't government programs you know, for the elderly, there was no AARP, there was not even a prime timers group, okay? And it's just the way it is. Family took care of family. That's what it was about. Family took care of family. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, if anyone doesn't provide for his own, especially those of his own household, he's denied the faith, he's worse than an infidel, he's worse than an unbeliever. So we see this care was supposed to happen. It was a devotional care that basically says, listen, your parents took care of you when you were in diapers. You take care of them when they're in diapers, okay? (laughs) Just the way, that's the truth. That's the truth, all right? You're supposed to take care of one another, and it's done out of love, right? So uh, Jesus is bringing up this example because what they did, they tried to circumvent this commandment. They said this, that they could designate their wealth as Corbin. Now, what are you saying Corbin is? Corbin is an Aramaic term, and it means dedicated to God. That they're saying they designated their funds to um, God's use. Okay? That I'm sorry, Mom and Dad. Those funds that I had to help you, well, I donated, I dedicated it to the, you know, to the temple. You know, I promised it to them. So they could tell their struggling parents, you know, you wouldn't want me to take God's money now, would you, to help you, okay, and and stuff like that. You don't want to break my vow, do you? So this was this loophole that they created. That was their tradition, and they made that tradition more important than the commandment of God that said, honor your father and mother. So that's what Jesus is telling them. This is what you've done, okay? That you're going to make this loophole. You're going to say, I've given my wealth to the, you know, to the temple. That wasn't God's plan. And it did benefit the Pharisees, by the way. But it was a direct contradiction of honoring your father and mother. So this is what he brings up. You know, nothing wrong with tradition, by the way. I think there's some great traditions as long as they're in the will of God. And there's a lot of traditions that are wrong if they contradict the word of God. It's just the way it is. Okay, but there's always a danger when we start disregarding the commands of God, and that was true back in, in the time of Jesus, you know, and it's true today. 
that we have to understand the word of God and live by the word of God because God is very clear in his word. So these fault finders, they hear they're hypocrites, they depart. Now Jesus calls others, look what he says, verse 14, and when he called all the people unto him, he said unto them, hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. And you see, he calls on each one. You know, you could be in a big crowd like this, but the Lord wants to speak to you individually. He wants you to hearken to him individually, okay? And he gives you that to come. There's nothing without a man that entering into him can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. If any man has ears to hear, let him hear, okay? Basically saying what goes in your belly is not the problem. Now, it may put weight on you, it may give you a bellyache, may give you nightmares if you eat too close to, you know, bedtime, but there are physical problems. Spiritually speaking, uh, you eating certain things is not the problem. What you're going to see is the problem is the heart. It's a heart problem, okay? And that's basically what he's saying. We're going to get to where the uh, verse 17, and when he entered into the house from the people, he leaves the people, his disciples ask him concerning the parable. They think that he's speaking in parables, but he's being very clear here. This isn't a parable. And he says to them, are you so without understanding also? Telling his disciples this. You don't understand what I'm saying? Do you not perceive that whatsoever things from without enters into the man, it cannot defile him? Because it enters not into his heart, but into his belly and goes forth into the draught, purging all meats. So if I, do I have to go through the digestive system with you, how it works? You eat, eh, eh, oop. okay, so that's how, that's how it works, right? That's how it works. So I don't have to go through that, but he says, listen, it's not things that defile a man, it's the heart that defiles a man. A man's heart is corrupt, and therefore he corrupts himself, okay? So uh, this is what he's saying, and, and he gives examples, verse 20. And he said, that which cometh out of a man, that defiles a man, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these things come from within and defile a man. He says it comes from within the heart. Now, when we talk about the heart in the Bible, it refers to one, this, you know, this muscle that pumps blood. But it also refers to this most important part of a person, the innermost part, okay? The heart is that, uh, the central part of a person's life, okay? Uh, so it's vital. It goes beyond just a blood-pumping muscle, becomes basically the center of your soul, okay? Uh, it's, the, it's the source of thinking, of rational understanding. Listen to what it says in Matthew 13, 15. For this people's heart is waxed gross. And their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart. So it's, it's rational understanding. Jesus, when they're looking at Jesus, they're thinking evil. What's he say? Wherefore do you think evil in your hearts? Part of our thinking process. The heart is the source of our emotions and our, our affections and our desires. You know, the two on the road to Emmaus, after Jesus opens up the scripture to them, they looked at one another, they said, did not our heart burn within us? They didn't have heartburn, okay, but their hearts were stirred within them, their innermost being, when Jesus opened the scripture. 
Jesus says, whosoever looks on a woman to lust with her has committed adultery already where? In his heart. That desire. It's the source of our conscience. In Acts chapter 2, when Jesus is speaking at Pentecost, it says they were pricked in their heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? So we see when we talk about heart, we know what we're talking about, this innermost being. It all stems from the heart. It says in Proverbs 23, 7, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Okay, as you think in your heart, the heart will direct our lives. The way you think is the way you're going to be. You got it? That's how it works. The way you think is the way you're going to be. If you think evil, guess what? You will be evil. That's what he's saying. So we're to keep our heart, Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Our thoughts, our feelings, our actions flows from the heart. But here's the problem. Since the fall of man, our heart is shot out. It says in Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The heart's deceitful. You have a deceitful heart. Did you know that? Yeah. You know, I laugh when people say that, you know, the Bible's written by man. Man would never paint such a terrible picture of himself. Our heart is deceitful. It's desperately wicked. There's nothing we can do about it. We're shot out. That's what he's saying. You know, in Genesis, when, uh, when God was about to destroy the earth, what did he say? God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart, okay? And the worst thing you could do, I'm going to tell you something. I know people like to say, oh, follow your heart. Listen, whoever tells you that, go get advice from somebody else, all right? Your heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Just follow your heart. It sounds so good, right? It's the worst. You know what you do? Follow God. Follow his word. That's the answer, okay? You know, when people ask me, I like when people call me and they say, is it wrong to do this? If people are asking me that, they already know it's wrong, all right? They're just looking for some kind of papal blessing that you're not going to get from me, all right? Yeah, sure, go ahead. Peace be with you. No, it's not happening. It's not happening. People already know it's wrong. I'm going to tell you something right now. This is it. Before you do anything, before I do anything, you know what you got to check? The motive of my heart. What is the motive of my heart? Why would I want to do this? Why am I going to say that? And that's always a good one. Before you say something, what's the motive behind me saying it? Oh, man, can you imagine if we actually did that, how much better it would be? Yeah. It all comes down to the motive of the heart. So we see this progression of sin, verse 21, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, begins within the heart. And what proceeds out of it, what's discharged out of it, he says, are evil thoughts. Anybody ever have an evil thought? Right? Anybody lying here? We've all had it. Yesterday, yesterday I, had, I was coming here, I, I, we, we had a, uh, yesterday was Saturday, right? Yesterday we had a, a funeral in the morning. I had a uh, wedding rehearsal in the afternoon. And then I had the nativity, right? So I'm coming back in the afternoon. I, I got to get to the rehearsal. 
And uh, the first gas station I go to, because uh, I'm out of gas. My car was out of gas. I was too, but the car was out of gas. All right, car's out of gas. I stop at the gas station. The guy says, I'm trying to get gas. It's not working. I'm, I don't like being late, so I'm running last minute. And uh, the guy says, all we have is high test. I haven't had gotten high test since 1975, right? <laughs> high test. I looked at the price. I said, I'm not getting high test. I'm going. I go to another gas station. I get gas. Made me even later. I'm running behind. Now, I'm running for a good cause. Got to get here. Wedding practice, nativity. Want to see people get saved. I'm running for a good cause. And what's in front of me? A car with somebody who has no place to go. <laughs> this guy is just going slow. I'm trying to get here. But you know what? All I had was good thoughts. <laughs> All I had was good thoughts. Yes. Liar. Liar. Yeah. Come on. I mean, that gets us right, right on Jump Street. Thoughts. Evil thoughts. You know, when you think about your thought life, Realize how shot out you are. I remember, I remember going to the nursing home. We had a nursing home. Uh, we still do have it, the, this ministry at the nursing home. And I'm with someone. This woman was, you know, she was older than old. She was like back nine. She was on the 18th hole button. I mean, it was, it was, it was close, yeah. And I just remember she's sitting there. She's sitting there. She's by herself, and I'm talking to her, and she says to me, I said, how are you doing? She says, if I could only control my thought life. And I said, oh, I don't stand a chance then. I mean, she's in a nursing home ready to, you know, check. <laughs> she's struggling with her thought life. Thoughts are rough, man. Thoughts are rough. We all face them. But it's bad when we allow those thoughts to conceive and brings action, says adultery. First thing he brings is adultery. That's sex outside of marriage. That if you're a married person, you should be with one spouse, monogamous forever. That's just the way it is. Next one, fornication. That word is, in the Greek, pornea. So we get pornography out of it. It's, it's a very broad term. It means any kind of immoral sex act. Uh, premarital sex. Did you know? I'm gonna let me let you in on something. I know it's 2023, but did you know premarital sex is still against the Bible? Did you know that? That hasn't changed. That hasn't changed. Sex is good. God loves it. He He created it, but He created it with the confines of marriage. So you may call me archaic. I don't care. You could call me what you want. This is the way it is. Okay. Um, it's any kind of immoral, sexual, abnormal sex. I saw a guy, did anybody read this article? Nobody at 8.30 read this article. There's one college professor, university professor, who is arguing the rights of bestiality. Did anybody read that one? Nobody read that? Somebody had to read it. You read it. Thank you. Somebody read it. I thought it was crazy for a minute. But that, that, he's trying to justify it. You're saying, what's bestiality, right? That's sex with animals. All right? This is what, this is how, you know, listen, that's like the last stage, by the way, when you look biblically in a nation. This is where we're going. So abnormal kind of sex. Uh, murder, he says. Well, we know what murder is, right? Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not murder. 
That's what it means, okay? Uh, you're not to murder. Theft. That means you're not to steal. Okay? You're not to cheat people out and steal from them. Covetousness is the, this craving for more and more, some kind of appetite, some kind of hunger, whether it's uh, craving for possessions or power or, or pleasure or fame, whatever it is. Covetousness is this burning desire that you're trying to satisfy by getting things. Let me tell you something. The number one cause for divorce, you know what it is? It's not adultery. You know what it is? Financial problems. Why? Because the Bible says, be content with such things as you have. Okay? Knowing he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Be content. We have a relationship with the Lord. Doesn't mean, you know, you can't set goals for things. It's saying, don't get in such a hole that you're both working your, your heads off, you're eye deep in debt, and you're angry at each other. Covetousness. Paul the Apostle. Remember, he said the law revealed to him that he was covetous. He said that slayed him. He was covetous. So he brings out covetousness. Uh, wickedness means depraved. It means to act uh, actively evil. Okay? That people just stir in their minds. Isn't it amazing? The wickedness that's out there. Pursuing to harm others. Deceit means to bait, to mislead to be crafty, uh, to give a false impression by word, act, or influence, to connive or twist the truth to get your own way. Deceit. A deceitful person is a plotter, always looking on how to get what they want. Lasciviousness is a King James word. It means lewdness. It means filthiness, shamelessness. We live in a shameless society. Right? Everything's out there. Shameless society, unrestrained evil thoughts and behavior. And you see it out there. It's just, we live in a time that's just incredible if you really look at our world. Evil eye, that's the, not the look that most wives give their husband, all right, when, when they say something. Yeah, that's, that's not it. That's not it, okay? It means that to look where you shouldn't, to look where you shouldn't, to look... Uh, and to either envy, covet, or to satisfy a lust. That's what it means. Blasphemy means to slander, to insult, to revile, speak evil of God or another human being. You know, you know when we talk about abominations, God says it's an abomination to sow discord among the brethren. That when you speak badly against a brother and another believer, God says he hates that. You know, uh, that's something that we have to understand, man, gossip and slander. God hates that. Pride. Well, we live in a season, a world of pride, right? Conceit, arrogance, self-importance. Uh, you know, listen, the, the word selfie wasn't even a word not long ago. It's this desire, this lifting up of self and looking down on others. Foolishness is to have no moral sense, to be reckless and thoughtless, Okay? And uh, what we see through all of this, he says in verse 23, all these evil things. Notice he calls them evil things. These aren't just like, well, bad things, you know. He says these are evil things. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. You see, and there's absolutely nothing that the outer man can do about it. You could wash your hands until they're raw. It's not going to wash that away. You know, you could scrub every pot and every pan 
It's not going to stop an evil heart. And this is what he's saying. Listen, listen to your local news. Just You listen to your local news any day, and all you see is a number of evil things being reported, right? But keep in mind, that's our local news. Every city and every town has their own news. So just keep adding to it, and you just see evil upon evil upon evil. That's our society. And if you think that we are not affected by the culture, by our society, you're wrong. Because the society, uh, I've said it many times, is trying to get us to conform to them. To get the Christian to squeeze into their mold, just like you put clay into a mold so that when you remove the mold, it looks like the mold. That's what they're trying to do to us. Squeeze us in so we look like them. It's not to be. You see? So you look at these things. I mean, I look at Philly, and every day you could turn on the news, and there's a murder after murder after murder, and they keep saying, you know, I hear the newscast, what can be done about this? You know, uh, make more laws. They're not following the laws already. They're not following the law of God, thou shalt not kill. They're going to care what somebody else writes. You see? So this is the problem. It's not the gun that's the problem. It's the heart of the person with the gun that's the problem just the way it is. Jesus makes it clear it's from the heart all these evil things come. Let me tell you something. That's why Jesus says you must be born again. If you are not born again, you need to be because I'm going to tell you something right now. Your heart is corrupt. Every human heart is corrupt from the fall of Adam right till now. That What they did in the garden has affected each of us. We're shot out. We're shot out. Jesus came to set people free. So if you've never come to Jesus, you need to, because I'm going to tell you something, that heart will never inherit the kingdom of God. You can't do enough. Just can't. And here's the good news. When you come to Jesus, he doesn't just rehabilitate your heart. What he does, he looks at that heart and says, that thing's total. Let me give you a new one. And I praise God for that. That we get a new heart. You know, think about it. But here's the deal. And I heard this illustration one time, and I thought it was a great illustration. I use it all the time. If we've been given a new heart, why do we still struggle with these things? Because I'm going to tell you something. That old heart, even though it's been put out of business, it did a lot of damage. You know, and the illustration I was heard, and I've used it ever since, was, you know, if GM was to go out of business today, 50 years from now, you'd still see GM cars on the road, right? So what's happening is this, that old heart put out a lot of seeds, and those things come about, and, and we see these new little wrinkles and these new little things. And, you know, God says, I try the reins of the heart. He places us in position, guess what, so that we can know our heart. Oh, do you still got that going on? You still got that going on? And what is he doing? He's removing these things, uh, sanctifying us a little at a time so that we finally will take on the image of Christ, which will happen when we see him, by the way. But that's what he's doing. So these things happen, these trials, these different things happen, and it just reveals our heart to us. Because sometimes it's very easy to think, well, I'm saved, I'm begotten. The fact is, we got to understand how shot out we really are, okay? So what do we do? What do you do? I mean, if you're a believer, I know if you're an unbeliever, you, you know, come to Jesus, get a new heart. What if you're a believer, 
And you look at this list given by Jesus, and you know that right in your own self, these things are possible. What do you do? What do you do? Well, maybe today's the day we say it's enough that I am, you know, thinking with the old man, the old nature. As we go into communion, we've got to go before the Lord, and maybe it's the time we maybe use the words of David. Remember when David was confronted by Nathan the prophet? Nathan came to him and said, David, thou art the man. David had sinned with Bathsheba, and, and for a year he hid his sin. And he wouldn't come clean, and God sends Nathan the prophet. And he says, David, you're the man. You're the problem. And David says this in Psalm 51, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. He says, God, you desire truth in the inward man, in the heart of man. So what does he pray? Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. He hid his sin thinking he was going to get away with it, and God was convicting him and convicting him. He says, it was like I had broken bones. He says, you know what? He wasn't hearing joy and gladness. Because he was trying to hide it. We can't hide from God. He says, hide thy face from my sins. Don't look upon my sins and blot out my iniquities. I love what he says here. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Man, don't don't we need that? If, If we're struggling with these things, Lord, create in me a new heart, a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Let my spirit be aligned with your spirit. Then he says, cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. That's Old Testament. That can't happen to us as Bible believers. If you're a Bible believer, believing Christian, praise God in this dispensation, guess what? He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. That, you know, he compares it to marriage. I was saying last week that he is with us for better or for worse. I praise God in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would, you know, come upon you and then depart from you. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I praise the Lord that on my worst day, he's still with me. And he's still dealing with me and still working with me and still putting up with me. God is good. And then he says this, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. He lost that joy. Maybe you've lost that joy. Listen, the world will never give us the joy that we have in Christ. I know it wants to tempt us with it and do all those things. I heard one preacher say, listen, if sex was as fulfilling as it was, then every hooker should be the happiest person on the earth. (laughs) Right? If drugs were as fulfilling as they were, then every drug addict should be the happiest person on the earth. But they're not. We have Christ. And there's nothing better. All these things are, you know, trying to get our attention and get our focus. we got to keep our eyes on Jesus. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Uphold me with thy free spirit. As we go into communion, let us take a few moments to go before the Lord. And, you know, let the, let the Holy Spirit do the heart catheterization. You know, you could look from the outside and look good. You could have tests that make you think you're good 
But you know, it's not until they get that catheterization in you that says, hey, you're not good. So that's why Psalm 139 says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in thy way of everlasting. Let's keep short accounts with God. Knowing, you know, the heart is deceitful. Let us keep short accounts with God. God wants us to walk, you know, with him. God wants us to live differently than this world. If, if you're struggling with any of these things that I just mentioned in there, and that's not a comprehensive list, if you're struggling with these things of the heart, then you know what? It's time we say, Lord, I've got to give you my heart. And that's more than a song. It's reality. Lord, I've got to give you my heart. So let's look at this and praise God that guess what? We could go to him and confess our sin, and he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But maybe you're looking at that list and say, you know, I'm pretty good. I don't know about the rest of them, but I'm good. Well, then maybe you could be that Pharisee that we talked about earlier that comes in and Jesus says, yeah, you worship me with your lips, but your heart's far from me. Maybe you've just become all duty and no devotion. Got to confess that. Maybe you're just going through the motions. Let today be a day with a fresh start. I praise God that he is the God of fresh starts, amen? We blow it, and we could go to him. That his mercies are new every day, his compassions fail not. Praise God. I'm going to tell you something right now. If you're thinking, I'm not going to take communion today, I'm too big a sinner, go to the throne of grace, receive grace, get back with the Lord. So let's take a few moments, and if you've never trusted Christ, take this time to call upon him, just as he did with Peter. Peter said, Lord, save me. And he reached down his arm and saved him. Jesus is right there. He wants to see you saved more than you want to be saved. Call upon him. Listen, he's already paid your debt of sin. He paid for that on the cross. That's what we're celebrating. He gave his body, took your sins, paid for them with his own blood. And you could be forgiven today. You could be given this free gift of everlasting life. That when this life wraps up, you're going to heaven because you placed your faith in Christ alone. If you're trying to work your way to heaven, you ain't getting there. If you're trying to, you know, trust in your religion, you ain't getting there. There's one way, and it's Jesus. Place your trust in him. The greatest news that could ever be given, that God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's go before the Lord. The Bible says we're to, you know, judge ourselves at this time lest we be judged. So let's go before the Lord and then we will take a time to commune.